says, get that India, big boy. G'day ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another episode of The Tip Sheet. I'm a man that's desperately needed a haircut this week, but you can still call me 4020 or John I suppose. Joining me as always is 60s and this is a special episode mate. Mate, this is very exciting. We're recording today's episode in Eels Lane at Parramatta Leagues Club. We will be having Joey Grimer live with us. Look, it's exciting for a start because 40 and I are actually on location at the same place together. So instead of us being uh, recording from our respective homes, we're actually getting to spend a bit of time together yeah, on, in this recording. On site at the home of the Parramatta Eels, the Parramatta Leagues Club, um, on the Eels Green, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, so we're, we're going to be bringing a few recordings to you from this location during 2021. So very exciting times for us. And uh, you are getting us in... Almost live mode. So yeah, almost, uh, live. almost live mode. We will be looking to live mode on a number of occasions this year. So this is a bit of a run through for us and very exciting. And on that note, please bear with us with some technical difficulties because I am no longer set up in my uh, normal uh, sort of abode with my you know home desktop and whatnot. So we've got some uh, teething things to sort of navigate through in this process. But without further ado, mate, let's jump into the menu because it is a busy one today. Yes, and uh, we'll... Um and now for the second week in a row, we welcome back our resident Eels insider, Joey Grimer. Joey, mate, really good to have you back on the tip sheet. How are you travelling this week? It's been a, um, yeah, indifferent week. Um, it's great to be here again. Um, so thank you for the invite again for our uh, second round of the um, updates with our junior reps. Um, it's been a good week. Uh, the sun's out. Um, it's drying up the fields, so we might get a, a different conditions to play in this weekend. A uh, little bit different to what has been the last month. Yeah, it has been pretty uh, tough playing conditions with the sort of greasy fields and outright sort of floody fields that I've had to deal with. Um, so it takes us into the results from last week, uh, which was a mixed bag. We had a, a win, a loss and a draw. What are the positives to take away from each of those matches in the three grades? I certainly think the Harold Matthews just continuing to build on their game. Um, they're building on the back of their kicking game. Um, that's been the pleasing point for um, head coach Steve O'Day um, and their staff. With our uh, SG ball, um, it's a bit of deja vu from round one. They had such an appealing first half, completing high, doing it relatively easy and comfortable in control of the game. But again, that second half curse coming back to them, turning the ball over, forcing, uh, you know, unforced errors and just not being disciplined. And that's two weeks out of four. So Coach Craig Brennan has uh, been... Um, speaking about that to the players, showed them a lot of video this week, and that's that, those things you can't really instill as a coach to the players. Their inability to pick up the ball and play it effectively, yeah. their ability to get behind the referee and not give away a penalty. It's things that um, are under sevens know, and it's things that first I mean, graders the, the know. The boys themselves would know. It's just they, Exactly, 40. It's just an exercise in frustration for both the coaches and the players themselves, I imagine. And sometimes 
guys, it's not through lack of discipline. No. Um, sometimes it's just lack of, oh, sorry, it's more um, overzealousness, enthusiasm, yeah, exactly. and just trying to generate a little bit of a, a momentum shift by someone's act in their defence. I'd, um, I'd look at someone like uh, Jonte, who has such a fantastic carry, but we saw on Saturday that that overzealousness and over-eagerness led to a number of errors in the play the ball when he was trying to get his team out the, on the front foot. Yeah, and, you know, Jonte's a great example. is someone that has been one of our best um, and will continue to be one of our best. Um, the, this, the coaching staff of uh, the SG Ball, always challenging about getting on the front foot. And him and Peter Tateo, um, and they're our, our leaders to get us uh, a quicker play of the ball. So our halves, and uh, we've got a bit of uh, agility that we can play the b on the back of a quick play of the ball. So in saying that, we're asking him to do that. And, and th th there's a... There's a, um, you know, a, a close line that you, you go to. And unfortunately, Jonte had one of those games where he made a few offensive errors, but um, um, the, the rate of which he carries the ball with will always outweigh yeah. the error rate long-term down the track. Um, so he was disappointed in his errors last week, and I spoke to him after the game. But rest assured, he's going to come out and, and continue what he does well, and that's get over that advantage line. And two, this week, uh, be a lot more careful and uh, hence give us a, a better completion rate. Now, moving on to the Tasha Gale, mate. Unfortunately, it was another loss for the girls. They're, they're still looking for their first win of the season. But they did manage to uh, avoid the shutout this week. Um, um, we, we were really proud of the girls. Um, the Illawarra side that came up uh, took us on at Cabramatta have been undefeated for two years. They haven't lost a game last year. Wow. They didn't lose a game this year. They've got two ladies that uh, participated in the NRLW. Yeah, last I found that year. out after the game. Yep. That's crazy. Young Berry, um, she she did come to a, uh, she did come out of a box in the second half, uh, only because we allowed and a little bit like our uh, senior sides uh, or our boys, um, uh, we turned the ball over on early tackles and. That's what we didn't do in the first half. It was only 16-12 at half-time. Yeah, at half-time, it was a great contest. Yeah, and we came out, um, we, com we competed, the, defended the first set. Um, they kicked and they, we dropped it on play one. Um, so that just allowed them to get... They got one try, then they got two, and they got a leg up. And their really good players came, came into the game. And just zapped us there. They had all the ball for the 12-minute period, and we were just gassed off our feet. But uh, Coach Ryan um, was very excited with some of the things that he saw, some of the things that him and his staff have been working on over the week. And um, rest assured, uh, that'll get better this week when we take on the dogs. I know that um, you had a big rap on the back rowers, didn't you, in your 60s? Yeah, the um, young Quinn. Uh, Quinn McAvey, yeah, yep. and I think Lasalio Sita Payne is also outside. Yeah, Sita, uh, um, she's a leader uh, by captain and yep. leader on the field. Um, the, the amount of carries, I think she had something like 17 carries for 136 metres in a 36-minute uh, uh, minute period of the game. Um, you know, and, and Quinn, she's only made herself into the team the last couple of weeks. Um, she, she, Ryan, Coach Ryan had to pick her because of her enthusiasm and her energy. Last week when we were convincingly beaten by the Dragons, she was still trying to energise the team. She's only a slight-framed girl, but she plays well above her weight, and she's very, very... Um, the, the girls love playing with her. And at this stage, um, she's the first one that Ryan's going to 
pick because she brings that energy enthusiasm um, whenever she does uh, with the ball or without the ball. Yeah, I thought her work rate was absolutely outstanding. And the aspect of the play which stood out for me in that first half was the second phase play. Yep. I thought the second phase play from our girls was outstanding and that was causing the Steelers' defence all sorts of problems. And it was really, uh, I, I think from memory, but there was a couple of um, errors. I think they might have got some back-to-back uh, -back, uh, set of six and George, or, or they got a turnover that they were able to go the length of the field when they got their second try in the first half which pulled them to just behind us and it was almost a repeat I think from uh, with their yeah, you're try right. that got yep. them just ahead yeah, you're they, right. they basically went the length of the field in a set of six where we had been applying quite good pressure to their line so there was a lot of encouragement in that first half and yes the, the second half unfortunately just got away from the girls in a match where the, def where the opposition was just far far too good yeah you're right mate and you talk about uh, players that are unique uh, one lady that's already played NRLW um, young Tegan Berry she scored the last two tries just a phenomenal young athlete and um, uh, she scored on debut last year for the NRLW and we've done a really good job all the, all the ladies and the staff done a really good job to contain her in the first half because of that six is what you're saying we were attacking their line um, mitigating them having any opportunity to score tries but in the second half we forced the error the first time we had the ball and we were just defending completely the opposite to what we had done the first half yeah yeah and um and we wrapped up with the sg ball draw which um it, it was a match that we looked like we we're in control of uh, virtually the all of that first half and then um, a couple of tries and the scores are level and it really became a, a war of attrition in the second half and it was almost like which team wouldn't make an error for determining who the victor was going to be. Yeah, and um, the game was played exactly the way Craig wanted, through the middle. Peter Tateo Peter scoring uh, two tries, and Vlado, who his first time he started, I thought it was uh, his best game I've seen him play Definitely. in a couple of seasons. That first half, he owned the first half, Vlado. Absolutely owned it. And on the back of, uh, you know, the forwards carrying the ball. So Craig Brennan came up with a, a plan and they stuck to that plan. Played him through the middle third and just overpowered him. And to, you get to an 18-6 lead, um, you're going into halftime thinking, you know, we're comfortable here. We just need to uh, maintain, defend and complete our first five sets and then the game will open up. And if we're good enough, we'll kick away. Unfortunately, it wasn't a B60s. Um, we came out and the completion rate was four out of 14. Yeah, it's brutal. And it's brutal. Uh, 40. Um, it's just so dis disappointing because they are a better team than, than the draw. Um, four out of 14, and the second half, we, we uh, gave away 7-2 um, penalty count. So the penalty count ended up 9-9. Nine, nine. So you can see the advantage we yep. got in the first half, but we clearly lost it when we ran out on the second and half of the... I don't field. know I don't know who was kicking for the Steelers. They had a hell of a boot from those touch finders. Yeah, they... Um, um, the, the interesting thing about uh, the Illawarra Steelers is that uh, their side, they had two young fellows in their side, um, one in particular, uh, Junior Amone. Yes. Um, he'd done the full-time 
pre-season with NRL. I actually watched watched him play against our uh, reserve grade side, Jersey flag side, two weeks ago at Oakey Jubilee against the Dragons. So he's a full-time player. Now, I watched the video again yesterday. He would have touched the ball over 50 times in that second half. And that's what you want. You want your big game players touching the ball yep. as much as they can. He turned the game on its head um, and was superb just with his, his busyness and his ability just to make everyone feel confident. But I say this, as good as he played, I still feel if we completed better and uh, we got to our kick a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, you know, we would have walked away or would have come away with, with two points. And Coach Brennan and the staff spoke to the players uh, after the game and, and was disappointed um, with not their effort, but their, their inability to win those games. And it's... Again, Manly, and now it's um, um, Illawarra Steelers. So that's one area that Craig and his staff are continuing to work on, is just ensuring that um, we, we, we do get to our kick. And how do we do that? We might have to lose uh, half a second on, on playing the ball as quick as we want to. And the, the byproduct of that is to mitigate any... Um, um, mitigate any knock-ons or drop balls and get to our kick. So you were talking before about um, following match plans and this is what I wanted to bring up about, the, about last week's game because I think it applies to all the teams where there were long periods where they were obviously following the match plan and then we had some periods where the errors and the concentration lapses kicked in. In NRL teams, you've got leadership groups and senior players who take charge in those sorts of moments. Who do you look for in a Pathways team? It's a really good question. N normally, I mean, the answer that everyone feels is that it's the captain, whoever that is. But um, the, the responsibility uh, in our programs really lay on the halfback. The halfback is the quarterback of the, the team. And it's his or her role to ensure that if things aren't going well, how do we change that momentum and it's getting to your kick it's getting to your last play option and more times than not where you finish on play five you're trying to get a high finish not a low finish so that area and that's why the halfbacks are um, are so important in our game that they understand what the, the halfback is an extension of, a good halfback is an extension of the coach so he knows fundamentally what the coach wants to do and what we're trying to achieve, and that's why they train. So the halfback is the, the quarterback, the one that steers the team around the field and, um, and works out what the best play is. He's not necessarily in every play. We want him around the ball, but he or she has the objective or needs to come up with the right option at the end. Sometimes the ball needs to go out. We've been defending a lot, so we need to have a little rest. Sometimes the ball needs to stay in. But ultimately, the leadership quality or that, that, that understanding usually comes from the halfback. And a great example of this, someone that's come through our Pathways program and has been very successful, whether he has played Harold Matthews SG ball and currently in the full-time squad, is young Jacob Arthur. He just understands... Um, um, exclusively what he needs to do and what needs to be done uh, with that calm and resolve that he has. So they're the game managers out there on the field. 
question that I was just thinking about when you were talking about the being able to um, take a rest from time to time must make it hard with the new rules where kicking into touch is a tap, not a not a scrum with a bit of a rest. Is 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 that something that we're going to, in your opinion, that we're going to see in the NRL is going to change the game? It, it, it may change the game, but it's only a matter of time until teams adapt to it. We've been contesting with a number of changed rules over the last four or five years. Um, so it's something that uh, teams are going to pride themselves on in changing the way they train. And I, I read an article yesterday in the paper about um, uh, Trent Robson, who has trained, uh, changed the way he trains because of the time that the ball is in play now so fundamentally what's happening on the field you're getting less breaks and so forth they're actually bringing that and changing the way they train in context to the 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 time that the ball is in play so the i, I think at this stage it's going to be a bit of a change but it won't be too much until teams um, um work out what the best way um, to defend that and i'll give you another example one of the hardest things that I think has come into the game is a seven tackle set where you kick the ball long, yeah. the fullback or the winger races back. Mm. Teams really struggled for the first six or seven rounds to deal with that because whilst you want to compete on the kick chase, you want to you don't want to give up just in case that ball goes long because the advantage then goes to it's the defending huge. team. Yeah. One, the defence is not on side, and two, you got an extra tackle. So things like that, sixties uh, um, teams get to adapt to or yet to adapt to it. And I think the fit of the players are now. I don't think it's going to be too much of a difference for us at Parramatta. Um, we encourage the quicker. Uh, uh, change in play of the ball or, or tap or whatever the case may be because we pride ourselves on, on being uh, fit and um, energetic. Joey, speaking on halfbacks, um, it's good that you mention it because one of my like, single criticisms of the Harold Matthews after the pre-season trials that I saw was that the kicking game, the long kicking game that was, was a little bit scratchy at times. Um, and in saying that, in the last couple of weeks, that has just come on in leaps and bounds. Like, and I, I say that like... Uh, Young Ethan Sanders has, you know, been kicking teams out of the game at times, and that's really encouraging. So I was, I was sort of like looking about to ask about that process. Was that a focus area, or has the improvement just been a natural progression from regular coaching? I just think it's it, it's a process area. It, sorry, it's a focus area in every team. Your kicking game, your kicking game. Um, you could have an awful set, but still get a high finish on a kick and turn that whole momentum around. You could have a fantastic set, but the ball comes off the side of the boot and goes out on the full or deflects off someone else. So the kicking's always an area where we measure statistically on, is it a high finish? Is it a low finish? Is it a well-executed kick? Or is it a poorly executed kick? Mm -hmm. These things are measured and uh, are recorded and are shared with the halves or the kickers in general. Um, so when we're talking about uh, the kicking game, it's it's no more importance, uh, or it's no we, we place no more importance in the trial games than what we have because it is a high priority, and the players know that, the kickers know that. I would challenge the that, or I would suggest that um, the reason for the the different kicking is just a level of maturity and calmness and um, a confidence. Um, that North Sydney game really turned the game around for both of our grades, 
in our SG Ball and Harold Matthews. Our kicking game was phenomenal, which yeah. allowed us to come in on the back of Josh Chappell kicking that 40-20 um, uh, going on to win the game. And in the Harold Matthews, um, you know, the halves and the kickers just turned them around and made them force errors, exactly. which allowed us to attack inside their red zone. Now, before we go any further with some of these questions, uh, Forty, we've got a bit of a change in the schedule for this Saturday, I believe. Uh, correct, mate. So, uh, initially, it was the junior reps in the Harold Matthews and Ashley Ball playing out of Camden on Saturday. But uh, they'll be joined by the Tasha Gale in a rescheduled lineup, starting with the Harold Matthews at 9.30, which then goes to the SG Ball at 11. Uh, there is then a Jersey Flag trial at 12.30, and the day closes out with the Tasha Gale versus the Bulldogs at 2 o'clock. And just to clarify, those first two games were versus the Western Magpies. Uh, Joey, just on that, what do we know about this week's opponents? Yeah, 60s, it's a really tough one. Um, West have... Uh, been at the top of each ladder for the SG Ball and Harold Matthews. Um, they're sitting, you know, in the top four, just outside the top four. We all we all know about the volume of players in the West or the Southwest. So um, what we do know, they're a, a a big side and they've got some real physical forwards. Um, their dummy half in the Harold Matthews, a very, very creative, clever, fast player. So he's someone that the coaches have identified. But we're going to go out there and um, they're looking at, at, at where they are in the in the competition, Western Suburbs, and they could tie up, um, uh, you know, a top six position with the successes so over the next week or so. Yeah. So it's a big game, 40. Um, but I can tell you this, that they're a, a, a physical side um, and they've been quite successful with the, the size coming through the middle. Um, they had... Um, Manly last week and we know how good Manly were. We've seen them in the first round and uh, look comfortable against both those age groups. So we're going to go out into their territory and we're going to take on a, a physical and a confident Western Suburbs outfit in the both grades. Um, with the Bulldogs, um, they're at the same um, point as we are. They're winless at this stage, but they have been playing better than their uh, zero-point aggregate. So um, it's a real important game for both of us. And uh, Ryan and his staff have, have, have been talking about that energy that he's been promoting for the last two and three weeks, and that's the focus area of uh, his program this week. And again, I spoke to you guys uh, last week about um, um, the ability of the young ladies that, whilst they may not be getting the wins off the field, they're still getting 22 and 23 players um, um, energised at training. So their positivity is really refreshing. Good stuff, Joey. Um, so in a nine-week season, and in junior reps that is, um, round five is something of the hump round. Yep. Uh, from a coaching or planning perspective, uh, is there any type of uh, pause or re-evaluation at this point, or do you remain one week at a time? It's a, it's a real good question, and we sort of touched on this last week because we had the buy the previous yeah, week. Yeah, it is a very similar topic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, um, we, we don't necessarily plan that we're going to do this or do that at any particular week. We need to trend. We need to get through our pre-season. We need to get the moles in their legs. We have to ascertain a certain level of conditioning. We need to ensure that the players are running a various distance each week in their training and that they're lifting and, and, and doing their speed work. Um, um, the conditioners that 
we've got um, in our club. Um, Neil Dunkley with the um, SG Ball, um, Clint Harb with our um, Harold Matthews Cup, and uh, Blake Roleski with our uh, Tasha Gale Cup. They're all very, very well versed in what's required. So from a fitness level and a conditioning and a strength and speed level, we're, we're, we are where we should be. Given that the um, um, Harold Matthews and the SG Ball had a week off last week, we actually topped up their energy and got a bit more moles into their legs, where the, the ladies' program, they have the buy at the end. So they're just maintaining that. So there's no real scientific plan that we're going to do this on that it's basically what the head coach sees with his gut and what the conditioner sees where they're at from a conditional um, um, point of of being in the middle part yeah, of absolutely. the uh, season absolutely something that we touched on uh, very early on in the chat tonight has been uh, match conditions and we've really had a much cooler colder even wet conditions than we get at this time of the year sure, yeah. in most seasons. Mm -hmm. Does that impact the way that the football's been played or even the way that the players have been recovering after matches? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I guess why I answer yes, um, it changes the style that you would... Uh, opposed to what you would like to play at. Um, when it's wet, it's it's less um, uh, moving the ball. It's more middle third, and it's about a more, even more um, uh, pressure to get to your kick. So we would practice that at training. Given the last couple of months have been wet, dreary, and so forth, we're getting a better understanding because we're actually practicing. The 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 best thing, or the the, the most favourable thing about it is both teams have to participate in the same weather environments. Um, so again, it's that little bit we were talking about 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago, about um, how important it is for that half or that quarterback to get us where we need to, mm -hmm. get, to get the ball uh, down the other end of the field. So whilst we would train or we would play to the conditions, uh, we would certainly know um, uh, what a plan A is, if the conditions are dry and so forth, and what styles of play, where we're trying to get to, to have that expansive or lack of that, uh, expansive game, depending on those conditions you're talking about, 60s. If it's dry, um, we have fast players and we need to get the ball to our players like um, um, Tyrone Sow, our fullback, who's got incredible feet, evasive, oh. can get on the inside and outside defenders. Um, so we want the ball in his hands. Where if it's a little bit, you know, overcast or it's a little bit heavy, uh, we certainly want to come through the middle, which answers your second part of your question. That does have a adverse, um, um, you know, uh, effect on how the players pull up. If it's boggier, if it's wetter, if we're playing through the middle, the level of, um, um, I guess, soreness is going to be greater, yeah. particularly to the guys in the middle part of the field than sunk. exactly 40. Uh, than if it were an expansive type game where there would be um, limited carries or, or less carries by your front rows and so forth. So from that perspective, uh, yeah, it, it, it does uh, affect the way that we recover. But again, our, our trainers and our head trainers, we have for the first year uh, put on someone um, specifically for that rehab management and return back to play so he is in constant dialogue with uh, Matt Stewart our physio and the physio connection to ensure that that um, is not overlooked but absolutely 
in the wet games, uh, the way we would um, uh, manage ourselves first day back on a Monday would be different than if it was a drier track. Interesting stuff. And, and speaking of expansive footy and your speedsters, how good was it to see Big Cooper Sinclair? Yeah, it was great. I mean, he's he's six, he's sixteen foot seven. Yeah, so I think when he probably that, underselling it a yeah, little bit too. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think when he took that intercept, um, when he caught it, I think about seven meters out. Yeah. I think he, he was four strides and he was at the fifty meter. Yeah. Another seven <laughs> strides and he made the yeah They're things gonna, that I dream about. Going to run it, run him in the Melbourne Cup now. Yeah. I'm yeah. And I, I think there was plenty of cheering from his mother on the sideline. who wasn't too far from us. Was really helping him to get. Home. Yeah. Yeah, is that who it was? Because I've seen security kick around. But no, <laughs> uh, you know what? Um, he's worked hard. He's had a, 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 a lot of injury growth issues over yeah, the past couple so of seasons. Big athletes. Yeah, and he's just grown too fast for yep. his body. And he's, mm. he's starting to understand and fill into his body as well now. So really happy for him um, that, you know, he's in the team uh, through uh, merit. And, you know, uh, if he keeps on doing that, um, he's got no reason why coach exactly. wouldn't pick him. Yeah, exactly. A good moment for him. Well, mate, uh, best of luck as always for this weekend. And uh, I think we're always a little bit more uh, educated, a little bit smarter. Yeah, absolutely. After your pleasure. sessions uh, speaking with us, Joey. So thank you for joining us again this week. And we look forward to speaking with you again next week. It's been great. I love having these chats. And I'm back here at the home at the Parramatta Leash Club where I did work for five years coming through my own grades at the lower grade. So it's great to be back here with you for round two. But great to be back at, you know, the spiritual um, house of Parramatta Leash Club. That's it, mate. Thanks a lot, Joey. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, guys. Look forward to it. Cheers, mate. All right, mate. So let's blitz through the uh, junior representatives, both reviews and previews. So let's start with all the action out of Saturday, that super, super Saturday, which saw, uh, I think, was it six or seven games of football? Uh, it was It was six games that uh, that we had there, three at Cabramatta, three at Penrith. There you go. So, yeah, because I think the live stream was advertising a seventh game. It must have been something outside of the Parramatta Eels, which is why I've got my wires crossed. So, kicking off the action at New Era Stadium, the Parramatta Eels in the Harold Matthews had a dramatic win, um, which ended up sort of blowing the game out 28 to 12. Um, the Steelers were really competitive in this game throughout good portions of it, but geez, that, that sort of frenetic finish with uh, Charlie Geimer and Miles Martin combining for one of the better tries you'll see all season, I reckon, mate. Mate, it was, look, from a, a team perspective, the Eels were physically dominant. Mm. I think the uh, final scoreline was a measure of that uh, level of dominance. And, of course, the, that last try to Miles Martin, definitely in contender for try of the year. The vision's been up there on uh, the various platforms for the Parramatta Eels. If you haven't seen it, check it out, because I think when you have a look at it, it speaks for itself. And, of course, it was very exciting as it unfolded and live. really want to give the team a shout-out for that stinging defence throughout the entire 60 minutes of that game. They hut, oh, hut, hit and stuck. <laughs> they they hit and stuck the Steelers uh, throughout the course of that entire contest, and there were some brutal shots. So that um, that sort of got the Eels off to the best possible start in the day. But then we got that mixed bag that we are talking about with Joey, um, which took us to the Tasha Gale, where the girls ended up getting beaten uh, fairly solidly, 42 to 12, by the Steelers, Joey spoke at length about the uh, the positives coming out of this young girl, uh, young group of girls. Um, what did you see out of this game, mate? Well, it was really a case of thirty. Uh, what was it? Thirty-eight unanswered points in the end. At one stage, Parramatta led twelve to four in the first half. The halftime score was sixteen to twelve to the Steelers. It was a high quality 
game of rugby league in the first half. Mm-hmm. Lots of skill on display. And um, let's just say that the, the second half, all the momentum, all the play, uh, full credit to the St. George, uh, sorry, to the Illawarra Steelers because they were far too good. They had quality players through the I team. I mean, two girls that are obviously part of the NRLW last year. Yeah, yeah. The, so. They, look, the unfortunate thing was our, our girls uh, dropped a bit too much ball, didn't really complete the sets as they did in the first half. First half was um, great second phase play, uh, strong carries through the middle, really put the Steelers under pressure. And the, the tries were the result of the teamwork and the effort that the girls put in and the energy they brought to that first half, it just wasn't there in the second half and the Steelers were too strong. Yeah, and I think looking at this game, just quickly and brief, you can see the talent in the Parramatta team. It's just going to be a matter of, of drilling into them across the course of the season and in, into next year too. The discipline and, and sort of focus you need across the course of the game when you meet a team like the Steelers who will punish you for your mistakes. Yeah, they, they were really a victim of their own concentration losses. Mm-hmm. And we closed out that uh, batch of junior rep games on a Saturday with a draw. So, like I said, got the full gamut of results with the win, the loss, and then the draw. 20 all in the SG Bore. This is the one This is one that really stings, mate. This is one that got away from the boys um, with the Steelers levelling it up late in the contest. And then both teams having shots at field goals or try-scoring opportunities late in the game. Yeah, and as we spoke to Joey about this, it was, again, a case of the Eels being quite dominant in the first half, mm-hmm. uh, following the... Uh, the uh, game match the match plan to a T. Uh, errors started to get away. As soon as the errors start to get away from you, you're inviting the opposition into the contest. That's exactly what happened. Steelers had a couple of real quality players, in particular Junior Ramon, yep. and uh, they took full advantage of it to get back into the contest, draw level, edge ahead with a penalty goal. Parramatta drew back up with a penalty goal of their own with a few minutes to go. And that then- ended up rounding out the story. And shout out to Josh Chappell who gave it his, his darndest to force a result there with a, a late surge down that left edge where he, he sort of created something from nothing but the Steelers covered defence was just, you know, too energetic and managed to cut down uh, uh, Tyrone Sow on support. Yeah, yeah. Alright, so that, takes, that took us through all the junior rep action. Let's go into the previews quickly out at Camden this week as we talked about with Joey Pryor. Um, stuff, the, the, sort of the weekend kicks off with the Harold Matthews uh, taking on the uh, Western Suburbs Magpies, so with that one half of the Western Tigers split now. Well, joint venture, but in the juniors they are split. Um, into the Parramatta Eels, you have Jacob John coming back into the team for Dom, uh, Dom DeStratus. Um, Dom has been one of our uh, standout performers in early games, so you have to imagine he's picked up an injury. Um, otherwise, having a quick look through this team list, the back line is unchanged, the halves are unchanged, and the forward pack, the only change is uh, Dom's twin brother, Raf coming into the edge position for him. So you got uh, a bit of a double trouble there with uh, one twin replacing the other. Um, and otherwise, Jacob John comes onto the bench with that shuffle with Raf coming onto the bench into the starting team. Uh, moving on to the SG ball, which will be the next game sequentially. And you've got a few changes for the Eels. Out is Freeman Forsyth, Keanu Wright, Dunrobin, uh, Koevi Lamassu, Kyla Mafawa, and Totona Jr. Wright. In is Daniel Reardon, Drew Lloyd, and Francis Fayofo to Utino. Um, those big sweeps of outs to the ins is a result of that really big extended bench deals carried last week. So you're going to see some of those names uh, uh, filter through into that. Um, just looking quickly through the team list. Um, forward pack looks unchanged. Backline should be as is with uh, Kamoe Fekatoe getting a start last week. That's carrying through to this week. 
And then, yeah, you've got the guys coming through onto the bench. So Drew Lloyd, uh, Francis Tortino on the bench there. Daniel Reardon taking on one of the uh, shadow bench roles. Um, okay, and that takes us to the last game, which is the rescheduled Tasha Gale, um, who will join their uh, junior rep brethren um, at Camden. Not playing the Western Suburbs Magpies, though, playing the uh, Canterbury Bulldogs. Um, ins for the girls this week is Jacinta Tui uh, and Laurie Masami. Um, out is 60s uh, lady Quinn McAvey, and then Rosalia Leah is also out. Um, so looking at there, there's going to be at least one change to the starting team because Quinn was the starting back rower. Um, it's looking there. Yeah, so Masami has come into the starting team and uh, Jacinta Tui is on the bench. So that wraps up the preview quickly. Joey already gave us a pretty in-depth coverage of what to look for in those contests. Yes, uh, and... And just on uh, Quinn McVeigh, it was a uh, hyperextension of the old That's goal, right, that's right. Yeah. I do recall that, yeah. So the goal's got to be banged up in that game. There was a few stoppages. So unfortunately, you know, we've seen a couple of them fall out with the injury bug. Uh, we do wish them a speedy recovery, obviously. We could describe our next guest as a leading advocate of women in sport. We could describe her as the founders of Ladies Who League and the various extensions within that franchise. We could describe her as a sports journalist and a media commentator. We could further describe her as a person who's passionate about a range of sports, women's and men's alike. Actually, the list is endless, but we go back many, many years with this lady, so we'll introduce her as we first came to know her, an absolute Parramatta tragic. Mary Kay, welcome to the tip sheet. Thank you so much for having me. And I was going to say, that's the only way to really introduce me, isn't it? <laughs> a total eels tragic. <laughs> well, mate, that's that's why we're here on the Cumberland Throw, because we're all eels tragic. So we figured you fitted in perfectly with that. And uh, we couldn't we couldn't not have uh, podcasts without having you as a guest at different stages. Well, thanks for having me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. And can I also just say how much I love the Cumberland Throws work? Shout out to the work that Mitch does on Twitter, but the work that all of you do bringing such important news to Eels fans, it's fantastic. I just love it. Oh, thanks, Thanks, mate. Mary. Um, and we're going to be talking to you about the Eels, but we do want to ask you a couple of questions about Ladies Who League. Mm -hmm. Firstly, was there a moment that you could actually pinpoint when you decided to create Ladies Who League? Yeah, there absolutely was. So I started my career in a corporate law firm and I worked with a lot of people, but almost everyone I met knew that I had this really big passion for rugby league. And there was an incredible woman that I was working with named Simone Wetton, who one night said to me, you seem to have this really big passion. Why don't you do something about it? And I sort of laughed and thought no one would be interested in what I have to say. And she told me to go home and think about it. And I did. And that night, Ladies Who League was born. I started a very crappy WordPress blog the next day. <laughs> and here I am eight years later, not on a crappy WordPress blog anymore, but still talking about rugby league and talking about a lot of other things too. Yeah. So from the humblest of beginnings, the reach of your work now today has been incredible. Does that surprise you still? Absolutely. Every single day. And I've had the opportunity to meet some incredible people and have some wonderful experiences. And I always sort of just make sure that I'm really reflecting on how fortunate I've been to meet the people I've met and to do the things that I've been able to do. I've never really taken it for granted, but after what happened last year with the COVID-19 pandemic, it's reminded me mm. again just to really enjoy these moments because you don't know how long they're going to last for. That's the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And 
I'm going to put you on the spot here. I'm going, I'm going to <laughs> rattle off a bit of a list again because you've given <laughs> you've given female sports stars a profile. You've given them a voice. You've provided an avenue for different people to comment on sport and a range of sports. You've even been the vehicle for sports teams to gain sponsorships. But I want to know if there's been an occasion where you've had to pinch yourself and say, is this really happening? There have been many occasions, Sixty, and I think the um, the biggest one is one of the ones that you rattled off, which was the sponsorship of women's sports teams. Just yep. the opportunity to connect corporates with sporting teams that need support was a moment that was special. Um, to bring it back to a theme, though, I actually went to the Auckland Nines, the on the title, and I remember it was also where I was really pinching myself saying, is this happening? And so often I go to places and I look around and I'm surrounded by incredible people and it's just going back to that point I made earlier about really being grateful for it, taking every opportunity that comes my way and enjoying it. That's it. Sixties uh, and I, uh, or sixty and myself rather, great English there, forty. Um, <laughs> uh, we're racking our brains and trying to stretch back to our first memory of you and and your support. And actually, we record that your championing of uh, lower profile Eels players really stood out. And Todd Todd Lowry, you know, back in that great run, two thousand nine, really comes to mind. Can you talk us through that whole process, raising profile on those sort of players? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for- I guess the listeners that, that don't know much about my past, I'm a person that really loves supporting an underdog. So my favourite player in a team will rarely be the player that's flashy or the most popular. I tend to support hard workers that do their job and perform for the team every week. And additionally, I tend to adopt some of the lesser known players that tend to cop a little bit of ridicule. So, like, Todd Lowry was one of those players back in 2009. I was a very big fan of Todd Lowry. I founded the Todd Squad at the time. (laughs) And actually, leading into the 2009 Grand Final, I had a group of friends, actually, that were similar and that they sort of supported the underdog. And we actually got these special T-shirts made with the underdog heroes. And I had Todd Lowry's face on a superhero you know, sort of body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like friends had Joe Nullivau, Tim Manor, yeah, Matt Keating. Um, there was a bunch of them. And to this day, actually, I still support underdog players. And I think the two of you know that I love Clint Gutherson, but uh, the two of you will recall when he came to Parramatta, Clint wasn't particularly popular. Yeah, the optics and have he, changed a lot in the, in the preceding years. But I remember when yeah. he first came here, it was a very different story for Guffo. Exactly, and he was playing on the wing and he used to actually be on the side where my season ticket was and because no one else really liked him, I started cheering for Clint Gutherson and then I don't know whether the rest of the Bay did it ironically, but they started doing it too and then he became great and now he's basically the king of Paramount. <laughs> you know, the, the unheralded player, Mary, how, how often they are actually integral to the success of the team. So I think I actually think that... Uh, supporting the uh, the underdog is is actually um, getting behind a winner. Well, we win as a team and we lose as a team. And growing up, I always thought that the flashier players had plenty of support. But as I said, we win as a team and lose as a team. So it's important that all the players feel support from the fans. And that's potentially also where the underdog thing came from. When we spoke on the phone earlier this week, Mary, we, the topic of Parramatta's exit from the finals last <sighs> year came up, and you were quite emotional about that, and, 
uh, we ended up speaking for a uh, time actually got away from us a little bit we were, <laughs> as we were digging into that and and I thought this would be something that'd be great to talk to you about so what was your perspective on the on the finals exit especially that South Sydney game so I'm going to take a step back leading into that South Sydney game. You'll all recall that at the same time that the final series were happening, the NRLW was happening. Yep. And I really wanted to get tickets to Parramatta's game against South Sydney. But I looked online on the Ticketek website and mistakenly thought that tickets were $120 a pop when I'd actually selected three tickets and they had them, I had them divided the price right. So I actually didn't even end up going to the game. So that was mistake number one. Um, leading into that game, I've got to say I wasn't feeling particularly confident. You'll recall that in the weeks leading up to that game, we had some pretty significant injuries yep. um, and a lot of our back line was missing. So leading into the game, I was feeling a bit nervous. And then, of course, we all woke up to the news about Michael Jennings. And I thought... This is it. We haven't got a hope in hell in this game. And I think I was extremely emotional at the end of that game. Like my partner, Jimmy, I was inconsolable. I really was. Like I was doing the ugly cry. You know, like Parramatta made me cry so many times. But I was doing like the really ugly cry at the end of the game. And I think... Did you take any photos, Mary? (laughs) Oh, no, I didn't. Like, I think Jimmy was scared to take photos of me because I was absolutely devastated. It was a gut punch, that's for sure. That was a brutal start to the game, like, to the game day. It was. And I think what happened was, was that, you know, Hayes Dunster came in as well to make his debut. What an incredible game to make your debut. And then, obviously, the game started and we were playing really well. And I started to believe. I really, really did. And then for me, like the Mitch Moses missed penalty goal. I would have cursed, gentlemen. Like, had the yeah. goal gone. And know, it wasn't just that, it was, it was missed. You yeah. get it or you miss it completely and the game's fine. But that exactly. explicit circumstance where you missed the kick but hit the uprights, bounce back into the waiting arm of the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Oh, my goodness. Well, I can still see it in my head. And had the kick gone, you know, a centimetre to the left, a centimetre to the right, it would have been different. But it just wasn't. And at the end of the game, I think I was just so devastated because we tried so, so hard. And there was so much commentary about how Parramatta just couldn't do anything more than second round in the finals. But we really gave it our best shot, I think, under the circumstances and had a far more successful season than we did in 2019 when we didn't even really look like we were going to progress any further at all mm-hmm. once the you know first minute of that second finals game. So, yeah, it was devastating. And it took me a couple of days, actually, to get over that game. I think the longest it's ever taken me to get over a game was back in um, 2006 or five when we lost to the Cowboys. Oh, that, remember one, that, game? that one was hard, yeah. 29-0. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that one was bad, but this one was definitely up there. I, look, I, I really I, I feel the, the exact same pain that you did because... Not only was it gut-wrenching the circumstances of the loss, but I think my agony continued for the next few days because there were just so many people who didn't rate the effort that we put in. Mm. And so, you know, for me, I was heartbroken with the loss and then I was heartbroken that people didn't find anything they could give credit to Parramatta for, for such a brave effort, where, as you said... 
a centimetre either way with that kick and the back end of the game evolves completely differently. And that's not to say that Parramatta weren't at fault for the that mm. last that last 15, 20 minutes, but we know that if you've got to restart in a different way, the whole context of that next set of six is different and you're ending up with a different circum- a different uh, conclusion. It sure is. And whilst you might say that technically Parramatta had finished in the same spot in 2019 and 2020, I saw a lot more in 2020 that I wanted to see than I did in 2019. Yep. That's it. All right, so closing the books on 2020 and jumping ahead to this year. (laughs) Um, What did you make of our trial against Penrith on the weekend? Look, gentlemen, to be honest, a couple of years ago, I made a vow that I would not really look too hard into trial games. And at the beginning of the game, I said that as long as Parramatta came out of it injury-free, I would be happy. I lied a little bit. I was happy we came out injury-free, but I won't deny I did groan at some of the mistakes by Blake Ferguson and Mike Acevo. But in the end, it's a trial game. We start 2021 with a clean slate, and I'm really not too worried about what I saw. Yeah, I I, I was sitting there. I, I was actually quite relaxed sitting there in the stand. Uh, I must admit there was a, a couple of things that, I was a bit disappointed in, a little bit in the line speed, a little bit with the uh, going too lateral a little bit early. But I'd never lost context of the fact that I was watching a trial. And, um, yeah, everyone's starting at the same point. So uh, it now starts to matter and the very next time that we take the field. Like, would I rather win all the trials and have a season like 2018? No, I wouldn't. I'm happy to lose trial games <laughs> yeah. as long as yep. Parramatta perform you know, when it matters, right? So what are your expectations for this year, Mary? I think it's a really hard one, but I genuinely think that Parramatta need to go further in the finals this year. As I said, technically we finished in the same spot in 2019 and 2020. In 2020, I saw pretty significant improvement and not just on the field, but around the club as well. Like the fact that we had so many players playing State of Origin that to me was a really positive sign because for so many years, Parramatta have had no state of origin mm. players. So that was really positive for me, but I want us to progress further than week two of the finals. That's it. All right, let's talk about those four state of origin players that were selected mm. at the end of the season in 2020, um, obviously being Quinton Gufferson, uh, Big Junes, Reg and Nathan Brown. Um, given that the series took place at the end of the final series, we're yet to see any benefits to the experience from the from the players themselves that took part in the Origin campaign. Do you believe that we'll see the Origin influencing uh, our boys coming back to the regular season for the Eels? Absolutely. I think, first of all, the players would have gotten a great opportunity to learn from the other players in the squad and the coaching staff around. But additionally, it's got to be a, a real boost of confidence, especially for players like Junior Paulo, And even RCG, who we know had a pretty significant injury at Penrith and wasn't really playing his best footy when he was signed to Parramatta, but is sort of back to his best now. So I think it's going to be a wonderful learning experience for them. And for a player like Reid Marnie as well, who we know was sort of in that broader Queensland squad, Mm -hmm. he's only going to get better. And I hopefully look forward to seeing him play Origin in the not-too-distant future too. So just on that, and we're talking about those players as influential players, across the team, who do you regard as the most influential Beals player? 
I think this year is going to be very important for Mitchell Moses. At the end of last year, a lot of people were talking about how Parramatta couldn't win a premiership with Mitchell Moses as halfback. And I wonder whether that's the right question to be asking. Potentially, the question we could be asking is, can Parramatta win a premiership, you know, if Mitch Moses isn't the dominant half? We've got Dylan Walker, sorry, Dylan Brown, who had an exceptional year last year. Definitely don't want Dylan Walker at the club. (laughs) Had Dylan Brown at the club. Um, He had a really good year last year, and I'm wondering whether he might take the lead this year and Mitch Moses may play a little bit more of a supportive role. I think there's a recipe for success there. I don't know what the two of you think of that. Well, what's interesting is, as we saw in the trial, there's been a swap of the sides Mm. that they're playing Mm -hmm. on. Now, that extends to the back rowers that they're partner alongside um, moving with them, again, as we saw in the trial last week. So, um, look, I think they, they tend to play uh, a role where quite frequently they'll hook up in, on the same side in attack. Um, for me, I think the, uh, one of the keys to, to them is uh, being able to straighten that attack. And we know... As, as obviously it's come to your attention that Dylan Brown is very good at straightening that attack up and when Mitch Moses is, is at his best, it's when he's straighter in his, mm-hmm. in his point of attack. So, um, I, look, I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how we play, whether it, it seems like every team has a favoured side of the field that they attack on. So it might be interesting to see how that plays out this year. That's it. Absolutely. Finally, Mary, uh, outside of a win in round one, which we all want to see, is there <laughs> anything you'll be looking for in the Eels' first outing that'll give you the most confidence about the season moving forwards? To be honest, gentlemen, I'm just really excited about footy being back. Last year was really, really hard for a lot of people. And for someone like me, you know, I see you gents at every single game. We say hello, we have a bit of a chat. I don't catch up with you for coffee on the weekends because I see you so frequently. I really missed that community around the footy last year and I cannot wait to get back to it. Can't wait to be watching at Bankwest Stadium again and just be part of that crowd. Like one of the reasons I love rugby league is because I feel part of something. You know, Parramatta are like a family to me and I can't wait for the family to get back together. And speaking about being back Bankwest, can we lock you in for another appearance on the Cumberland Throws tip sheet on the day of that first home match. Gentlemen, you can lock me in for a chat anytime, as long as Parramatta haven't lost more than five games in a row. Because <laughs> if they do, I tend to feel a little bit sad about what's yeah, going on. that's understandable. Anytime, anytime. It's been so much fun chatting to you. Oh, mate, thank, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank My you, Mary. pleasure. I look forward to the next time. And for those that are listening, they can catch you at uh, ladieswholeague.com. Is that right? Yeah, that's perfect. If you just search Ladies Who League, you'll find me. Yeah, and then you get all the socials at Ladies Who League on Twitter and everywhere else. So be sure to give her a, a follow there because she has some fantastic content, not just in rugby league as well. And now that takes us to the uh, last major action out of Saturday. Obviously, there was a Jersey flag trial and a Canterbury Cup trial, both results going against the Eels. Um, which we're not going to focus on too much now because we're going to wait and see how those teams shake out in the coming weeks. The major event, though, on a Saturday night was the Penrith Panthers 16 defeating the Parramatta Eels 6. Uh, 60s, what did you make out of this one? We already spoke to Mary about this. 
Well, as I was saying to uh, Mary and I've spoken to you about, it was keeping in mind that this was a trial. I had a, a wise fellow said to me, Parramatta played February football in February and what we saw from Penrith was probably something closer to September football in February. Undoubtedly, the Penrith Panthers were superior in their uh, energy, in some of their structures. Um, they really... Look, it'd be hard to see them maintaining that level of... Um, well, I have to keep coming back to the word energy. They, they were absolutely... They looked like they were jumping out of their skins in this match. So it'd be hard to see that being maintained under these new rules. I, I'm just... I suppose... Because like, in that trial, we're talking about players being able to run on and off. And, um, and I think the fatigue level, you can... Under those trial conditions, they could mitigate it a little bit. Now, we did hear the players talking about how tough they were doing, <laughs> especially the Parramatta players, that, you know, they were really feeling gassed. Now, if they're really feeling gassed during a shorter period of time or, or in periods of time where there's a few more um, uh, interchanges used, you can imagine what that's going to be like once the premiership hits. And there's going to have to be lulls. I, I honestly, I didn't see too many lulls from the Panthers on Saturday night. I don't, I'm not sure about you, John. No, they, you made that. They, they played a very good brand of football throughout the course of that game, particularly in the first half um, when that was a very physical contest between the two teams. What I am curious to see is you mentioned the new rules. I had a little gander at some of the other results uh, and, and sort of games on the weekend, and it felt like the Penrith Parramatta game was played much faster. Um, yeah. Ashley Klein sort of let that game really, uh, you say open up, but it was open without uh, stoppages, but the offsides of both teams were pretty marginal. So like it got into that almost origin-esque territory where the game's been played fast and frenetic and physical. And, you know, the Eels hung in there for the, for most of the, the two firsts versus each other, but Penrith definitely got the ascendancy with that Jerome Luai try before half-time. And then we saw, unfortunately, a lapse from Sean Lane in the second half uh, led to that try um, through the middle. Yeah, look, a um, couple of things that you just mentioned there. As a spectator out at the ground, I have to say it was... It was the officiating was a bit hard to follow at times because... Mm. The six again wasn't accompanied with the uh, the whistle to the crowd, no. the high pitched beep yep. that you get when there's a six again. So when it was happening, unless you were actually focused on the referee's arm on every play of the ball, which people aren't, there was when there was suddenly it seemed like, hang on, this set of six seems to be going a bit longer. Oh, it must have been a six again. And of course, look, anyone that's been listening to my comments on the six again rule know that I'm no fan of it I believe it's something that is so arbitrary that it's the new scrum rule of uh, of this yeah, era we, we've spoken about it at length it's, yeah. it's good in a vacuum but the execution can be quite inconsistent which leads to blowouts in, in runs of possession and scores yeah yeah so it, look it was a it was a difficult game to watch from that perspective uh, you mentioned some individual moments I thought that the Panthers had some great individual moments which led to tries. And uh, likewise, Parramatta had a couple of individual moments that allowed tries in. Mm -hmm. So um, on the whole, if we're, if we're talking about it from a team perspective, um, there was probably a, a lot to like about both teams, a, a, a lot more, maybe a lot more from the Panthers uh, supporters' point of view. 
uh, as I said, I, I'd be looking at and thinking, where do we go from here from their perspective? Because that was a very, very high standard. From Parramatta's perspective, no doubt, uh, we'd be looking for a little bit, little bit better line speed, maybe a little bit, little bit faster, better kick chase. Uh, we probably went a little bit too lateral in attack. Yep, definitely. Um, so um, sh- maybe shifting a bit too early. Uh, look, I think you don't want to have a bash and up sort of game in a trial. And my impression, this is just my impression, is that you'd be looking to do a lot more physical damage to the Panthers in a premiership game, really taking the physical contest to them. Uh, you don't want to do that in a trial. It's worth nothing. And, it's and the, absolutely worth nothing. I think the big takeaway out of this is that, you know, Penrith were a grand finalist in 2020. They looked to be the part still as a, you know, a top four contender. And Parramatta were right there with them for the most part. Yeah, look, that that is a big take that people should have from this because there were some interesting trial results across oh, all yeah. of the NRL. Char- Charity Shield was wild. Um, you saw, I think the Broncos got touched up by one of the Queensland Cup teams at one point. So, you know, the, it's trials can produce some pretty crazy results. And the fact that ours played out the way it did on top of the encouraging result against the Dragons uh, prior to that with the younger squad, um, you know, I think that's all you can ask for from a preseason. Mate, if, if people base their punting, their rugby league punting, which is a hard enough task as it is, but if they base it on trials and trial results and trial performances, yeah. <laughs> man, you'd go broke even faster. Even faster. Even faster. So, um, yeah, look, that's that's. I think that's probably all I'd really want to um, address from a trial because that's well, all it was. It's let's wrap it up there. Take a quick look ahead now as we hit the home stretch of the podcast. Um, it's going to be a relatively uh, quiet week for Parramatta fans. Got a bit of junior rep action as we detailed prior out at Camden. Um, but aside from that, it's a week off for the uh, senior squads as they prep for the prop, uh, the season proper. Um, yeah, anything happening for us, mate? Mate, it's um, look, things have been a little bit quiet from my perspective up at training. Um, so, look, I think they're... Obviously, I haven't been putting in any uh, training reports because right now they're preparing for their first opponent, the Brisbane Broncos. So um, they're they're into basically into uh, premiership mode when it comes to training. That's so it. Um, look, it's exciting times. Um, we're happy to have the footy back, and um, obviously stick with TCT because we're going to keep bringing you all things Parramatta Eels. And a little bit of housekeeping that I just remembered. Um, in the media this week, there was talk about a Mitchell Moses extension and um, confirmed today was a Will Penasini promotion upgrade uh, extension, sort of all in one into the top 30 for this year and next. Yes, and um, another important uh, reminder, we've got the uh, very first tri- of the triennial elections at Parramatta Leagues Club. So we're, given that we're um, providing this broadcast, this, this po- sorry, this podcast from Parramatta Leagues Club this week, we'd be remiss not to remind people to vote. You've got until um, the AGM. I um, believe that's correct, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, look, just double-check on the dates of that. You, However, can, you can always go to Paraleagues online and they'll give you all the um, access to that sort of information. Yeah, so don't forget to vote. That's what we work so hard to get constitutional change for. Check your email accounts. Please check if you if there's no email there, check the, your um, junk folder just in case 
Uh, there's, it's been directed there by your email account. Uh, if you aren't registered for an email, you should have received uh, postal voting forms. If you haven't received either, please get in touch with Parramatta Leagues Club. As I said, it's important that you vote. Hey guys, 4020 here speaking to you from the uh, future past with the power of editing. Uh, just to clarify, the uh, triennial elections will be closed uh, by 5pm on the 10th of March, Wednesday the 10th of March that is. So make sure you have cast your votes by then. That goes without saying. Uh, one last piece of housekeeping. Um, during the process of recording, uh, the NRO in conjunction with Adam Hawes just dropped a really cool documentary in the Parramatta Reels, uh final premiership in that 80s period, 1986. Uh, so you can catch that on NRO.com and check that out as well. Thanks, guys. And I think you can stick a fork in us like a good barbecue chicken, mate, because we're done. As always, thanks for stopping by. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.